Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there. Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussain. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. And if you're watching this from YouTube, don't be cheeky, click subscribe. Today's guest is the only guest that has made three appearances on this show, when only a handful have made two appearances. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, a heavyweight champion on a coral belt in the world of the online Dao scene, while still being a blue belt in real jiu-jitsu terms. He is a philosopher of religion and the co-founder of the Sapiens Institute, my dear brother and friend, Muhammad Hijab. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu How are you doing? Okay. Good to see you, inshallah. What's going on? Yeah, not much. I mean, alhamdulillah. They should be giving me the purple belt soon. I mean, I've been in blue belt for five years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, apart from that, I've been all right. And if they don't? Then this is a rigged sport. Maybe. It's a rigged sport, <laughs> yeah? I'm only joking. Now. Alhamdulillah. It's good to you. It's a deep belt and... Uh, it's, it was good to do something like, I mean, you're doing it now, um, something like grappling and something something like jiu-jitsu as well, uh, putting it as part of your life. I, I believe in it. I believe in um, every man should get in, in, involved in these kinds of um, activities. Do you ever see any kind of correlation, any kind of the way it affects the, your other work? So, so has it affected in any way the Dao? The fact that you stay fit, I know you've been on... The keto diet, you're looking very slim, mashallah. Yeah. And trim. Thank you. Do those things complement or affect? Yeah, I, I, I think I think they do. The thing is, my, my theory is as follows, is that when it comes to human interaction, mm-hmm. what is the what is the um, logical endpoint? The logical endpoint is physical altercation. Okay, so if, for example, I'm having a road rage incident with somebody and then that we're shouting at each other, we both come out of the car, now, what is the ultimate cost I can impose upon that person? The worst situation is an altercation. It's a physical thing. Yeah, yeah. So as a man, that's the most you can do. So if you have the ability to impose cost, then no doubt it's going to make you more confident. So let me put you in the situation of the road rage incident. You come out, someone's come out very aggressively, almost physically. And now you have the, you know, you have the competence or the prudence in being able to fight, to grapple, to strike some extent to take a punch to, to give one will you be more or less confident in engaging with that person more of course so i i think there's a huge even then to the extent of allowing him as well mm. knowing the damage you could potentially inflict as well yeah have you seen the russians do uh car bjj no, uh, no. It's, it's crazy so they're battering each other in a car basically mm. whoever unclips the seatbelt tends to win first <laughs> oh is that how, is that how no, I mean, it's, it's like mike tyson said punch Hard punch first, uh, or punch um, first, punch hard, punch uh, fast, punch last, something like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sometimes in these situations when you know that the person's gonna attack you, then you should you should strike first. That's that's a golden rule. Sometimes. What would your advice be to to Muslims who feel like they want to punch their brothers? Oh, their brothers. Mm. Uh, no, I shouldn't do it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's 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 go straight into it, my dear brother. Yeah. Um, a lot's been happening. It's been yet another uh, colourful, uh, eventful week or ten days. Um, at the time of recording this podcast, it's Ramadan, and we have a new first minister of Scotland. He happens to be someone who identifies as a Muslim. 
um, Hamza Youssef. And just to give our viewers and listeners who may not be from the UK, just a bit of background, because it's important. Nicola Sturgeon stepped down as the first minister. There was a leadership race. That leadership race very quickly became centered around the issue of faith, not just Islam, but Christianity, because the main opponent of Hamza Yusuf was a lady called Kate Forbes, a devout Christian woman. And they were questioned about their positions on same-sex marriage bills, um, conversion therapy for homosexuals, abortion rights, and, and many things. And I believe, and, and, and not I believe, it's, it's widely known that uh, Hamza Yusuf pretty much won the leadership race based on his positions on these matters. You made a video excommunicating the First Minister of Scotland based on a two and a half minute video clip from Sky News where he was asked about same-sex marriage. Uh, and he said, look, I see no difference between a homosexual marriage and my own heterosexual marriage. Then he was asked, um, do you believe gay sex is a sin? He said, no. And then he followed that by saying, I cannot change what's in scripture. And then you went ahead and excommunicate him and as a non-Muslim. So let's go into that first. Do you still stand by that yeah. position? Of course, uh, this is not a position that I, you know, uh, say by myself. I mean, the thing is, I communicating with almost um, every scholar from uh, not every scholar, but a scholar from every madhab. All right, from from the Hanbali madhab, the Shafi'i madhab, from the Maliki madhab, and uh, you know, which one have I forgotten here? The Shafi'i. You call it Hanafi, Shafi'i, Hanafi. Maliki, the Hanbalites. Oh. Yeah, of course, the Hanbali method as well, right? So they've all said the same thing. A lot of them don't want to come out and say it publicly because it has political consequences. So why did you do it if it has political consequences? Because a lot of these people that I've spoken to are not based in the United Kingdom, for example. Then one could not say that. Why do they truly understand the context yeah. of the uh, UK? Some of them are based in the United Kingdom, but still don't want to take the, the cost of it. And I know that because I'm having these conversations with them. I'm having a long conversation. Say, yeah, this person's a kafir. Some of them say, say yes, good what you've done. Okay. You know, because, I mean, what one of them have said, and this is the reason why I'm not mentioning their names, is because they have not told me that I have permission for that. Okay. But I have said that if we don't do this, then uh, the religion of Islam will become quite similar to the religion of Christianity. That it's now you're going to have um, you know imams identifying as gay. The question really is, and to to what extent can we can we accept this kind of recourse? Like for example, if somebody is um, comes out and brings the Quran and stomps on the Quran mm. and says the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sorry to say, yani, says the Prophet Sallallahu is homosexual. Yeah, for example, and then starts saying he's he's a kafir or something like saying sabbin nabi, like saying the worst kinds of things. That's because he said shahadatain. He said, let Allah Rasulullah because he identifies as a Muslim. Should we continue? Can Ami now, a lay person, not say that this person is a kafir? It's interesting you say that because uh, when you did your excommunication video, there were some du'at uh, and, and mashaykh from North America, interestingly, uh, Dr. Shadi al-Masri, Dr. Abdullah Ali, and there were others and that basically without mentioning you or the incident, we're talking about the right of the Muslim laity uh, of excommunicating someone if they truly believe someone to be beyond the pale of Islam. Uh, which I find quite interesting because there was a lot of commentary, surprisingly, from North American Du'at, without mentioning any specific names, um, who bought your Islamic credentials or lack of 
alleged Islamic credentials into question and made this whole thing about only a Qadi can excommunicate someone. Well, first of all, before we get to the so-called Islamic credentials part, I just want to kind of focus on this part of what the laity can do in terms of excommunication or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, for example, a Qadi, an Islamic judge, yep. has does not have more advantage in being able to find out if someone's insane, for example, than a layperson. Mm-hmm. And the evidence for that is in the Quran itself, because the Quran makes the argument that Prophet Muhammad is not majnoon. And, you know, it's many, many times he's not, he's not insane. He's not insane. Now, this would be unintelligible to a lay audience yep. if they couldn't distinguish between what is, what is insanity and what is not insanity. In fact, I mean, because that is the only excuse you can afford somebody. For example, in the example I've given you, someone stomps in the Quran or rips it apart and says something bad about the Prophet Muhammad uh, You can say he's insane. Okay. But if we say that, okay, the person is not insane because he's seemingly acting in a coherent fashion and there's nothing to show us that he's insane then the laity would be within their rights to make takfir of such a person who does these kinds of things or someone who comes into speaker's corner for example who has proclaimed that he's a muslim before and says ala. i am your lord most high is and that a fair comparison though hijab is it i'm, I'm, no, some, no, no, what, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a comparison what i'm saying is that there are because the idea is what they're coming with a lot of these brothers is mm-hmm. that they're coming with a qadi needs to because i've had these communications with them you see so let's just say, quote dr shadi here he yeah. goes the qadi Yep. A judge is only needed to apply the punishment, mm. not to determine the ruling. Yeah. So if I see a Muslim bowing to an idol or saying Jesus is God or saying alcohol is halal, we can't make any conclusions. Ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, uh, the bowing to the idol one is a little bit uh, contested because he could be bowing to the idol in the thing of the of the what the. the Qibla, for example, there are some that we let. So it could be that you're bowing to the um, the Kaaba and there's an idol in your way, and you can we can be um, pedantic with that one, right? Okay. But with the other ones, if someone says uh, Jesus is God, for example, yeah, he's a Muslim. It's a good example. I mean, what are you going to say about that? Or says I'm your Lord, the Most High. You know, do we need now to take this to the Qadi in order for the Qadi to determine uh, that something uh, is what it is? This is this guy's a kafir. Is there a difference between having a general ruling of if someone does X, Y, and Z, they're a kafir, and literally naming an actual specific individual? What they could say is that you could you're within your right to believe he's a kafir, but you cannot pronounce it to the public. But so I'm saying that if a lay person who witnessed a man stomp on the Quran and say the Prophet Muhammad is a homosexual or that he's he is uh, he is bad words like uh, pedophilia or whatever words they use, yeah. Mm-hmm. If they say these things or they say Anna Rabbukum al I'm mm-hmm. your Lord Most High, or that Jesus is God, or I believe in three gods, mm-hmm. do I now, now need to take him to court? He's a sane man or a sane woman. Do I need to take him to court in order to determine that he's a kafir? Is this really is this the level that we're going to take it? Because if the thing is. The question is, to what extent are we going to take this thing? So Dr. Abdullah Ali, again from the States, he goes, um, <clears throat> the common Muslim is well within his or her right to consider someone to have gone beyond the pale of Islam when that Muslim makes the indisputably haram halal and vice versa because the knowledge of such things are known by all Muslims to be what defines us. Yeah, I mean, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions that. Uh, no, we mentions that. I mean, all the scholars have mentioned this, by the way. The, the, and it's true that there is some discussion about the question of al-ma'lum in al-deen bil-darura something which is known in the religion of necessity has uh, different permutations in different time and different place. Is gay sex being haram being one of those? No, it's, uh, especially not for someone who lives in the UK. 
Like the discussions that people have in the uh, classical books of fiqh and stuff, there's someone who's just become Muslim, just become Muslim, and they're in a faraway place and these kinds of things, and that information couldn't have reached him. This is impossible to be the case with a person who used to be involved with FOSIS, the Islamic society. He used to be an active member, which is, by the way, run by the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, mm. they were organizing it. And that's why you'll find a lot of, and we can maybe mention this, a lot of the people who are most vocal against these things have explicit ties with the Muslim Brotherhood. Because for them, the Muslim Brotherhood in, in the United Kingdom, which are not as big as people think they are, because in the Middle East, they think the Muslim Brotherhood are like running the show here. Then, but it's also fair not. to say that the Muslim Brotherhood is not one homogenous movement. They've, it's they, not. They, they differ from Tunisia to Egypt to Asham to even the South of East Asia. Of course. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I'm saying that the people who, like, for example, one, you're aware that one leading member of the Muslim Brotherhood, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to mention his name, yeah. but I could read out what he said. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let's not mention his name. But can we mention? Can we read out what he said? I mean, yeah, we can read, read, read out, out what, what he said. I mean, this is somebody from the Muslim Brotherhood, okay, and he's a leading member. I've heard that he's the, the top guy here in terms okay. of the Muslim Brotherhood. Just, sure. just, just read that segment out, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to read this out because I found that this is it's just actually disturbing. Because to me, the situation is not one of religion. By the way, I think the situation. Every all these guys, they know that he's this guy's a kafir. I mean, they, they deep down, they, can, they cannot believe he's not a Kafir. Yeah? I thought, no, I don't, I don't think they do that. I, I think some of them do. A lot of them do. But I think the issue that they're really finding difficult, yeah, is um, is the issue of Maslaha, which we should talk about. Because really, really they, have, they, have, they have this idea of a Tadarraj. They talk about it all the time, which makes way more sense in the Muslim countries. Or yes. It's called gradualism. Yes, of course. Way, way more sense in the Muslim countries than it does in non-Muslim countries. But I, but, but, but I don't think any Muslim MP, including Hamza Yusuf as the first minister, has any real intention to gradually implement it's, Sharia. That's exactly, that, that's the point. That's, so this, listen to what he, he said. Just read that particular segment out. Okay, is, just one segment. He says, is our grievance is that he said something that goes against the grain of Islam, or that he tried his best or worst, I'm not judging, I'm not judging, you know, to reach a place of power and authority which no one else has managed to do. And no one else appears to be trying to do by giving the media what they want because he may or may not, again, I'm not judging, have a higher objective in mind and he's resigned to pick his, he's res uh, resigned to pick his battles. Meaning, from what I understand from this leading member of the Muslim Brotherhood in Britain, yes, from what I understand from him, he, what he's saying is this guy is at least trying to be Trying to do something. Yeah, he's trying to get to a position of power. And so he has now an authority, if you like. And maybe he, maybe, maybe it's not say authority. He has an excuse, which is the excuse of he's a political person, and the political person has an excuse. And the excuse is, he, you know, he he needs to make sure he needs to pick his battles. He can't say the wrong thing because the media is going to use it against him, and and so on and so forth. No, let's take it a step further. Is it is it the case that we're seeing from many of the brothers is that from this particular movement is that. To actually lie and utter statements of kafir yeah. is actually allowed to attain the very positions There's in the first no place. There's no statement of the prophet or a scholar in the history of this. I'm willing to challenge, you know, anybody who takes it that would ever give you that meaning. Like, for example, the Prophet Muhammad in a very famous hadith, he says, "La illa fi It's a Sunni hadith. Obviously, the Shiite tradition is a completely different thing. You'll find so many hadith on that. I'm talking about Sunnism. Yeah, yeah. we're not. La That lying is not allowed except for in three situations. One of them is al-harb khida'ah in war, war. Yep. and this is not. We are not in war with these people because then, then you, if if you, if they if they say this is war, 
They say, I mean, I'm just saying. No, we have contracts of agreement. We're citizens no, no, of this country. They, yeah. they wouldn't say we're in war because then the ahkam of harb are not applicable here. And you have to be consistent if the, it was. The, yeah, the ahkam, the rulings of harb are not applicable at all here. So they cannot say this is war. It would not be, no qiyas can be made this is war. I want you to stop there because there is a, another individual is yeah. um, a prominent academic. But can um, I just finish the hadith? Yeah, sure, yeah finish the hadith while yeah, I find so, this so the, the second thing is uh, to make sulh between two people. Mm -hmm. Two Muslims. Two Muslims. Yep. Two brothers, yeah. and the one is a hadith of Rajul Imraatihi, or a hadith of what do you call it, Zawjali Zawjatiha. There's a there's an addition of the hadith in Sahih Muslim, which is that basically a spouse lying to another spouse, okay, for for maslaha or something. But now these are the three things that you can lie about in Islam. So I asked, uh, I was thinking, I had a very brief engagement with Dr. Usama Al Azmi. Uh, he's a um, a prominent Muslim academic um, from Oxford. Uh, a very polite and respectful engagement. And I only know of him from others to be a lovely brother. And I asked him squarely, I said, what are your thoughts on Hamza Yusuf's statements on number one, gay sex isn't a sin. Number two, that he can't change what's in scripture. And also on the following policies that he's unequivocally advocating for. Pro-LGBT curriculum in primary schools should be taught as young as, to children as young as five. No to conversion therapy. By the way, conversion therapy, brothers and sisters, is when someone is a homosexual or identifies as a gay or lesbian, mm. that uh, Hamza Yusuf said he will ban, mm. criminalize any kind of dawa or nasiha or any therapy to bring them back to heterosexuality. So that means in Scotland, if a Muslim father, his child has become a homosexual, an imam or a community leader or a therapist cannot bring them back into or let them realign or consider coming back to becoming a heterosexual. He's going to criminalize that. And abortion rights right up to birth. Mm, so right, killing... Up to birth. Up to birth. So does that mean like an eight-month-old you take yes, out? Yes. Wallahi. Yeah, yeah. So... Doctor, he, he supports this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, openly. He says this. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. Really. So, so Dr. Osama Al-Azmi, he goes, in as much as he says, does these things, he's obviously sinful. Believing that gay sex is not sinful in Islam is obviously kufr. But it's possible to interpret his words to avoid calling him a kafir. I'm just holding the well-known distinction between general and specific takfir. Is that is that a private message or a public? No, no, it's a public. public it's, it's a public Twitter thread. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as I say, um, to what extent are you willing to hold that position? Because if you hold that position to its logical extreme, like someone saying that I am your Lord Most High, or I believe in Jesus as God, I believe in whatever, so long as they have uttered the shahada before that. Mm -hmm. Then you can't make the laity cannot make takfir, and the question will be then: Is the laity sinful for making takfir on such a person? I think what's happened is, Achi, that because of the ISIS situation, ISIS and takfiri movements, people have been reluctant to make takfir at a level that is probably unprecedented in history. Yeah, it was ISIS, but the ISIS Syria two thousand fourteen sixteen. Yeah, they 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 know that people link takfirism. And they link or takfir in general with takfirism or takfirism and violence. But there's also the incident where a, uh, a Qadiani shopkeeper was killed by someone because the person who killed him professed their love for Rasulullah. Do you hear about this incident? No. Yeah. So there was a Qadiani or Ahmadi shopkeeper who was killed, and um, the person who killed him wrote a letter and he identified as a Sunni. Uh, obviously, we had the murder of the MP Joe Cox. We had the, uh, by a far-right individual, we had the murder of David Arnes uh, by a, a person who identified as a Muslim. Yes. So I think the concerns are coming from there. All right, so let's let's make this very clear. Making takfir of someone, okay, and like, for example, my takfir of Hamza Yusuf is absolutely not um, a call to violence. 
In fact, we, we, we would consider someone doing violence to this person to be a sinful act in and of itself because of the detriments, the societal detriments it would, it would have. And because no one's a qadi here, no one's a judge during execution. We're living in the West, mm. you know, uh, which actually is very important because uh, yani, when people think about takfir, they automatically think I can be the judge of this or someone who pronounces takfir of someone's a fatwa to kill them. This is absolutely not the case, okay? So we make if if one makes it very clear, there's a distinction between takfir, removing someone from the fold of Islam, which we all are entitled to do as Muslim people. Otherwise, lest our religion become like Christianity, where you can have gay priests saying that we, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of God and so on, and with the rainbow uh, dog collar mm. and so on. We can't have that in our religion. We won't have that in our religion. But it seems like we're, we're, we're edging towards that. The Prophet ﷺ told us, That you will follow, that you will follow the way of the Jews and the Christians inch by inch, arm's length by arm's length, such that if they go into a hole, a litter's hold, you'd follow them in there as well. What we are seeing with um, in America and Canada and even in the UK, I was privy to my own studies when I was uh, learning in Oxford, University of Oxford. I was in the Anglican Church of England church. It is absolutely fine to be to believe in homosexuality is moral and to and to be a practicing homosexual clergy person. Yes, it is absolutely. And in fact, I would go as far as to say, op opposition to that is not fine anymore. In the Church of England, it's not, it, and of course, the Church of England is just like Ikhwan Muslimun. There are spectrums, so there are people more conservative, there are people more. But I'm saying this is what has happened now with the Church of England. I can tell you this firsthand experience. Do you, we, do we really want to see Islam go into that direction? Do we really want to see Islam become, the, uh, like, sorry to say, North America has is, is is behind us in this regard because if people like Ilhan Omar, people like uh, Rashida Tulayb and others. They have been allowed to, bro, can you imagine the discussion we were having maybe some time ago? I was had a discussion with Yasser Qadi. It's on the public record. And the discussion I was having with him was to do with whether or not he would even condemn her Publicly. for her belief. Yep. Forget about takfir. The discussion was whether or not she would be condemned for believing in LGBTQ, um, transgender stuff and would she be condemned? And he said, no, the maslaha, you, you heard what he said. And he even told us, you know, in the UK, you've got nothing to do with the US kind of like, I'm paraphrasing, but you've got nothing to do with the US. And now he's commenting on the UK, by the way, the same person, he's making a big thread about the UK. And others. And others. And but others. I'm saying that, Yanni, this whole idea of stay out of our, which is nonsense. I mean, me and mm. you both know this is nonsense. But the idea of stay out of the US, he's now commenting on the UK. But the issue is, look what's happening in the US. I went to ICNA convention. It's the biggest, well, I think it's the biggest of its One kind. The biggest one, yeah. yeah. If not, it's the second, if, well, the first or the second. But there's a lot of people there. There's Iqna and the RIS between yeah. those two, yeah. And there was tens of thousands of Muslims there. Mm. It was uh, uh, shocking, actually. I've, I've never seen many Muslim, uh, Western Muslims in one place. And bro, bro, like, Ilhan Omar was in that conference. No one condemned her in that conference. When I came back, I realized that I didn't even know she was in the conference. Wallahi, I don't even know. When I came back, I had to make a statement of condemnation. That You know, who's, who's this? They're letting her in. The reason why they're letting her in is because of this maslaha card. Because once again, we go back to the this assimilation, gradualism policies. The, the first question is to the Muslim Brotherhood in the, in, in, the, in the West is, who's given you the permission to make decisions on our behalf that we are okay with this kind of thing? 
Who's giving you permission? The reason why a lot of them are upset, bro, is simply because we've decided not to accept the narrative anymore. And the reason why I did this really quickly is because now look at what we're discussing, whether or not he's a Muslim. We're not discussing whether or not his policies are good for Muslims. Or, or whether they should be condemned or not. That's, that's, now that goes without saying. Yeah. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It's, takfir has had the net impact of moving the goalposts from discussion of whether or not... I mean, Yasser Qadi put out a, a post talking about, you know, I, I believe in this and I believe in that, you know, it's a good thing. You know, he doesn't say it's a good thing, but yeah, you can you see his post on Facebook. Yeah. 95% of the people commenting on his post without any exaggeration condemned him. Many of them put the video of me saying, you know, takfir of him, but 95% of his own followers condemned him. And they were making uh, istidlal, the lay people were making istidlal from Abu Bakr Siddiq and Omar and this and that. And they were making istidlal. They were, they, were, they were telling him, we're not taking this anymore. Bro, I just want to say something, just, just want to echo that point. Anyone who says, because we had Zara Muhammad from the Muslim Council of Britain come onto Sky News and said that, she spoke on behalf of Muslims here, by the way, bro. She said, uh, Muslims are ecstatic with excitement and awe upon his appointment. How dare you come on live TV as a representative of all Muslims in Britain to say that we are in awe and excitement about the appointment of Hamza Yusuf. Exactly. You could have said the Muslim Council of Britain are in excitement and in awe, but you chose to speak on behalf of Muslims. And if you see the online conversations and the offline conversations, because Alhamdulillah, the conversations that we've been having, the, the relevant noise, the necessary noise that had to be made, no one is in excitement and, and awe. There might be some elements of those who subscribe to that level of thinking or that type of ideology or methodology to attain power. But from what I'm seeing, the public opinion, the Muslim public opinion on these specific issues has been overwhelmingly against Hamza Yusuf and very critical. And that's what I find ironic about the liberal aspects or the liberal segments from the Ikhwani Muslim Brotherhood uh, movement is because they're not taking account to account what Muslim people actually want. On the grassroots. Even, even though in the Muslim countries they talk about democracy, for example. But look at, look at all of the, for example, I've had conversations with Hanafis, the Obandis. The Brelvis, bro. They've been hard. Fear. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of the Brelvis may take fear of him. The Diobanis may take fear of him. The Salafis may take fear of him. The Mutamadhibs may take fear of this guy. And or the, a lot of them. I mean, the majority, you'll find that's the majority opinion among the, the learned men of, of, of these places. But the, these brothers who are affected by or have a membership in, an informal membership or a formal one of the Muslim Brotherhood, it's affecting their policies. That's why I think it's happening. No, a, re a representative of that movement's not here. So in their absence, I will posit the following to you. Yes. We are a Muslim minority living in the West. We are living in a hostile environment where Islamophobic hate crimes are on the increase. There are people that want to, you know, change, not just change our religion. There are people that want to attack us, kill us, ship us away, kick us out of their countries, oppress us for draconian policies. Surely, Surely it's a no-brainer to have a Muslim who identifies outwardly as a Muslim would be a better person to be in power yeah. for the betterment and the safety of our rights than someone who's a non-Muslim or potentially someone who's right-leading and quite open about their Islamophobia, which wasn't even the case with Kate Forbes and Hamza Yusuf, but that is generally what they'll posit. That Sadiq Khan was better than Zach Goldsmith. That any of the 17 Muslim MPs are better than the non-Muslim MPs. That Hamza Yusuf is certainly better than Kate Forbes for the Muslims. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, well, tell us how, because he's not... 
putting forward the policies that we want to see as Muslim people. He's, mean, he's not Amir al-Mu'mineen. He's, he's, he's the leader of a, of a non-Muslim secular country. The thing is, if you look at the opinion polls that have been done in the UK about Muslim opinions on gay marriage and gay sex and stuff like that, I think IPC has done the, the last one in 2017. And it was only 13% of Muslims that believe that even homosexuality sh should be legal. I mean, they're off the mark. They're out of touch with what Muslim people believe. They're, they're out of touch with what Muslim people want. They can't even implement uh, anything. that I mean, most of the policies that this man, as you mentioned, is antithetical to what Muslim people would want. So let's just go over the four main policies. <clears throat> Again, because we need to keep reminding yes. people of this. Number one, he believes in the absolute right of abortion up to birth. So that is the murder so of... Cutting up an eight-month-old an, an eight or nine-month-old fetus yes. or a child. Yeah. Okay. He believes on the transgender reform bill. That is that if a man identifies as a woman whilst having all his biological bits intact, he would have access to those spaces where our mothers and our sisters and our daughters and our wives would have access to. Yes. Number three, he wants to ramp up and increase the existing RSE education to children as young as five in primary schools, teaching them about LGBTQ lifestyles, ways of life, relationships and so forth. And number four, he wants to ban, ban, that's criminalize gay conversion therapy. That means that if there is a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu or a Sikh that becomes a homosexual yes. and they have some, laid, some, some level of faith-related therapy to bring them back to heterosexuality or for them to reconsider coming back, this will be criminalized. Now, I don't understand how they can consider this to be a step in the right direction. Because that's what, like we were just reading now, one of the head members of the Muslim Brotherhood in this country was saying, it's like, you know, at least he's trying to be... Who is he to try? He's he's antithetical to everything to believe we believe in in the first place. And so what I'm saying is, and I think Hamza also said it very well in his discussion with you, is that when you talk about gradualism, tadarruj, and so on, you assume there's symmetry. There's asymmetry here in the, on, the, on, on, on behalf of these individuals in the West. They have more power than you. They have more educational power. They have more monetary power. They have military power. More political so power. Who, who's doing gradualism with who? Who's doing gradualism with who? They're gradually... Changing us. It's not that we're gradually changing them at all. But I don't think that's the strategy that's being used by the brothers. That's, yeah, it's, that's, it's a more that, strategy. The, yeah, the strategy is, is more applicable in the Muslim world. Exactly. Where yeah. the sentiments of the Ummah is pretty much there or isn't there. Yeah, or, yeah, you and know, then you, you slowly bring them and so on. That's a different story. Yeah. We're talking about here in the West. We're, we're, here in the West, this has makes no And by the way, it has no proof of concept. There's no proof of concept. As in where it's worked, where it's, it's been yeah, successful. You have, they've not shown any track record of success. So why should we listen to this? They're saying, oh, you, you, and they don't have any knowledge of politics, with all due respect. Like, this, you're, you're, you're a specialist in, yes, in, in yes. international relations. I mean, yeah, yeah, international relations. No, you've got a, you, you know, a BA. academic background. Yes, yes. And so on. Yes. And you, you've been working this for 10 years. Yes. From your, let me ask you, I mean, from your <coughs> understanding, is there any track record of success in this kind of thing? In the, from, in the Western world, no. There isn't, is there? I mean, so, for, you know, I also done a politics degree. And, um, you know, Students are learning now in, in, in history. I used to teach them myself the civil rights movement. Right? You know, the, the, I think the black rights movement is a fantastic idea uh, thing. Let me put this uh, full experiment. So was the, so was the women's emancipation movement. In the yes, UK? it was. And to be to be fair, from a from a strategic perspective, not from a moral perspective, the homosexual movement. I mean, they were able to put forward. They were able to very radical, very principled, very uncompromising. Yeah, yeah. All three of those things. I mean, that's what the civil rights movement really depicted in the in the UK and the US. Mm -hmm. And if, it, if Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and the Muslim, uh, what's, 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 uh, what's, what's it called? They're called? Na Nation. Nation of Islam. And those guys, 
all the all the all any any of these are not we don't endorse those groups. I mean, but I'm just saying if the Black Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, if someone was on the dinner table with them giving their idea, and he said, look, instead of doing civil disobedience and being disturbers in the community and shouting at these people and telling them we're not going to compromise with them. And instead of all of that, what we're going to do is we're going to put, we're going to completely compromise. We're going to have one of our own black guys being an Uncle Tom in the in the White House. Do you think that racism would be more or less in America today? Uh, you know the answer. Yeah, more. so I mean, the it, idea is that th these guys are trying to bring something which has no track record of success, not just in the Muslim world, in any minority group in the West. The, the, the main thing that has worked in the West is uncompromising and, um, you know, I'm not going to say civil disobedience, because you can do it through many different ways, but an uncompromising stance, be honest with the public, this is what we want, demand it, and there are many different ways. A strategic lobbying. Strategic lobbying, yes. what you're doing, like yeah. what Five Pillars is yeah. doing, which is a good reason for me to, at this point, put, <laughs> plug in Five Pillars. And I, I was really impressed, because when the Five Pillars did their their pieces and their journalistic uh, pieces on this matter in particular, it was one of the only, dare I say, if not the only, you know, Islamic journalistic uh, output in the Muslim world today in the West, which captured the sentiments of the, not just the Muslim uh, populace in Britain and other places, but also captured the sentiments of the, the, the Muslim religious clergy. And if it wasn't for Five Pillars, then we wouldn't even have uh, that opinion the clergy would have been uh, very quiet or the opinions which would have otherwise been uh, silenced by the louder voices in america and otherwise would have been uh, completely fizzled away we do believe it's a defining moment of our time bro this issue here this masala is a, it's a defining issue because it, it pertains to our children but that's why it, i would say that people need to support things like five pillars inshallah please do www.fivepillarsuk.com forward slash donate because no it's it, this is one of the most important things to support no, the reason why, because is if you consider in the next 10, 20 or 30 years, you see, the next 10, 20 or 30 years, it's the humanitarian situation will always be, they always have someone to feed or to, to clothe or to, to give drink to or water. But these kind of things, it leaves irreversible damage. We saw what happened in America. Alhan Omar and these kinds of people and the, and uh, Amina Wadud leading prayers and, uh, and these kind of things <laughs> in the masjids in Berkeley in, uh, in California. And the, uh, then, then some cowards in America, they don't even want to say this is, they won't even condemn it because they're and afraid. People, and people position political justification for the insult of the Prophet under, yeah. and under some notions of an equal regime of liberty and free speech. We're seeing what's happening, bro. But it's, it's, it's almost irreversible. So the fact that you are able to put on the record and change the narrative, because I see things, bro, if these conversations are not had, like the conversation you had with um, Hamza, it changed a lot of people's minds. You can see it in the comment section. You can see people's minds change. And so we need to capture this narrative because otherwise the liberal and secular elements of the Islamists, Muslim Brotherhood or otherwise, or other people who feel like this is a good idea, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna destroy the Dawah because of their ig ignorance and naivety when it comes to these matters. So let me pin this now back to the destruction or the hindrance to the Dawah. Some have said <clears throat> for your removal from Sapiens, someone yes. actually tagged Sapiens and Hamza. Oh, yes. <clears throat> There's been private phone calls and voice messages sent to Hamza and others saying that you know we disassociate with hijab. He will destroy the dawah. Yes. He lacks ex Islamic credentials, uh, especially juristic credentials, especially to make takfir and stuff like this. Yeah. And we've noticed that recently you've updated the about us section. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, now you have a full biography of your secular and your Islamic teachers and stuff. I mean, we'll get to that. Was this a, in a direct response to... Yeah, it was. I'll be honest, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, because not what happened was, it wasn't to them, but it was... The thing is, uh, to go one step back, I, I mean... I um, had already put on my About Us section the kind of credentials I had from a secular perspective. Mm -hmm. And because the thing is, I need that for my work. Authority is very important. Like, uh, unfortunately, we live in a very vanity, like, centered world or whatever, yeah? So I had to put, okay, this is where I've graduated. If you've got the piece of paper, people respect you in a certain yeah. degree. Uh, you see. know what I know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But it was, I put the secular stuff because the Islamic stuff, and this is going to sound like a false piety here i thought to myself if i'm doing it for the sake of allah mm -hmm. why on earth would i want to, uh, why on earth would i want to advertise it to the people and it was a real struggle for me to put that up actually because i thought to myself this is uh playing with fire it's the, yeah, already I've, I'm, I'm doing da'wah i'm doing these kinds of things but to mention the books that i've been reading and studying and the teachers and the names of the teachers and all these kind of things it's not something i really wanted to do to be honest but you really have Elaborated a lot, haven't you? I have. And the reason why, is, <laughs> no, the reason why is twofold because those who attacked my Islamic credentials or training from the Muslim side didn't realize who I was in the sense that I'm dealing with non Muslims who are enemies of Islam. So you, by attacking me, you're attacking the Dawah. If you're attacking my training in Islam, you're attacking the Dawah because now you're giving ammunition, ammunition yep. to the enemies of Islam. So when I started to realize that this was a threat that could affect the dawah, mm -hmm. I said, okay, I'm afraid to say, now's a haja. Now there's, um, now there's a need for it. So I put it up on the, on the, on the about us section. And we'll include it in the, in the video description as well, because there is a lot. I mean, four years of studying at the Shinkiti uh, Institute with Sheikh Amr and Sheikh Salim al-Shinkiti, Hafiz al-Quran, al-Jaziri Institute, Sheikh Ahmed Kamil of Egypt, Sheikh Jalal Salim of Egypt, Sheikh Jamal, Sheikh Ayyad Ghaimar, Algeria, Abdul Nasser of Somalia, Mona Hussein of Egypt, Hanbalite jurisprudence with Sheikh Omar Ali al-Ghazali of Egypt, comparative fiqh with Sheikh Ahmed al-Makkawi of Egypt, Arabic grammar, hadith and fiqh with Sheikh Akram Nadwi, Aqidah studies with Sheikh Adil bin Ahmed bin Hamid. There's lots happening here. Aqidah studied with Sheikh Abdullah Al-Ujayri. Aqidah studied with Sheikh Imran Patel. Islamic finance with Sheikh Haytham Al-Haddad. Is that going to continue? Yeah, of course. Shubhat in Ulum Al-Quran with Sheikh Shuaib Ali. Dawah Mentorship of Philosophy. Ustad Hamza, yeah, we can remove that. I have to put Hamza's also. Yeah, Dawah Mentorship. Because Hamza's been a fantastic person, you know, with these situations, Akhi. Like, it's not just that he's he's actually been a mentor. Like, this is not false. He's, he's as you've seen. You've, yeah, of you know, course. He's, if anything, anyone has a problem with me, they go to Hamza, they don't go to me. It's yeah. like, you know, the, the parent that tells the child off almost, yeah? Even though it's like a 10-year gap between me and him. But it's because Hamza Zorsis has, he's one of the few people in leadership, bro, like, who I actually rate him. Because most people act strategically. Mm -hmm. Most people act in a manner which is they want to do something for their own vested interest. They, they want to dominate. They want to impose. With him, he taught me that actually a good leader is not one who tries to control his followers. A good leader is one who tries to serve them. And not just that, he shows their interest for their development. Like, I, I will say that I have no doubt that he wants the best for me. And I think he works on himself to, to want the best for me. So because I know that someone wants the best for me, it's like your relationship with your parents, you know, 
if you know that they want the best for you, then they tr you trust that any level of discipline that they'll impose upon you is good. Is good. Now, that's a really good leader, bro. A lot of people are not like that, unfortunately. Do you not feel bad sometimes that, <clears throat> that this is not the first time that because of certain things that you've done or said or the way you've done it has brought heat and pressure on him? Yes. Uh, In the same way that a child feels bad for what he does to his parents. Yeah, of course, but uh, I, yeah, I do, I do, I do feel, I feel bad about that. But then on the other side, I'm, I'm the f uh, chief fundraiser for Sapiens Institute, so <laughs> I can, I can help out in other ways, you know. Okay. So look, let, let, let's just rewind and let's go, let's go back to the commentary from North American mm -hmm. art. There's been some commentary from the UK guys as well, but a lot of the prominent, indirect and direct insinuations towards your takfir has been from across the pond. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Because uh, it's, I know where, like from a student of knowledge perspective, there are two strands which it goes kind of goes back to. One of them is a sheikh called Hatim al-Awni. Hatim al-Awni is a um, very prominent muhaddith, very learned scholar. And mm -hmm. he was very um, influential in recent years because of his criticism towards, I'm not sure, are you aware of him? Yes, I'm yeah, aware yeah, of Sheikh yeah, But I'm going to allow you to explain. Yeah, his criticism towards like um, the Salafi movement in general, right? He's from a he's from a tribe called the Aoun, Aoun tribe. He's from it's like he's a, a reformer to some extent, of course. Uh, yeah, he's seen, he's seen as someone of a reformer from that tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Um, having said, he's he's a phenomenal scholar when it comes to hadith. No one can doubt his credentials or doubt his abilities. His well, he's produced works recently to do with takfir, and I respect you know his his scholarship. I respect his works and stuff. His students, however. Especially with works relating to takfir, a lot of his students or people who are influenced by him, they won't accept the kinds of, for example, I've spoken to some of them and I said, what would you do? What would you say of someone who stomped on the Quran under their foot and said the Prophet was X, Y, and Z? Bad man, this, that, and, and this person's a sane adult. Would you make takfir of him? Would you publicize that? What do you say? They say no. Why? Because it has to go through a due process and the qadi and stuff. And I'm thinking, where do you get that from? So there's one there's one stream of thought, which is like Auni influence. And I respect Sheikh Auni, but you can't really, you have to say, you have, there is no blame in issues to do with this disagreement. Fine, you guys can take a more if you, stringent view on takfir and say that someone stumps on the Quran and does this and that is not 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 takfir of them because you're taking his ideas. You can take that. But allow me to take a more liberal view on the issue because I'm not calling to violence. We're not takfiris. We're against the takfiris. We're against those kinds of things. We're still within a acceptable remit of scholarship, which is within Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah. So that's one thing. The second thing is, like I said, people from, I would uh, call them maybe the liberal ikhwan, mm. like more people that don't mind to engage from the Muslim Brotherhood with politics because they feel like the ultimate objective as came through with this, the, they say he's the chief person in the Muslim Brotherhood. He's a senior, he's a senior. senior. Yeah. Is that, senior uh, they don't mind to engage with politics to a point where you can't even do tamiz. You can't even know if this person is speaking the truth or not. Almost allowing taqiyya. Where there's no jurisprudential precedent for that. There's no ayah in the Quran. There is no verse in the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad which allows <clears throat> an individual to lie about the deen and commit kufr in order for for for, for someone to to engage with the political system of the West. And they feel like not even to implement Sharia. 
to, to do anything. You can't. Like I said, the, no, the I'm saying that you, there, there could even be a very weak argument presented that he's doing X, Y, and Z with the ultimate goal of implementing. Yeah, but he's not trying to implement. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's not trying to implement. I mean, it's almost naivety. It's like, they don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know, they think, oh, he must be saying this because he's a politician. Until when? Excuse, excuse, excuse. Until when? Yani? Until he takes his trousers off and has intercourse with a man in the streets for half an hour. Arrayis, this this example, yeah. I'm sorry to say, is an example that the, the same group <laughs> yeah. and all of us were making fun of the Madkhalis for. Madkhalis. Mm -hmm. Because Arrayis, who's one of the big scholars of the Madkhali movement, he said if somebody came on... Uh, I made a, a pornography. I didn't know this. Yeah, he's a very That's what cracked up at the analogy. He, he, he said, look, <laughs> if someone has sex in public, and he, for some reason, said half an hour. I don't know why he said half an hour. He said, for half an hour. He said, half an hour, you can't even say anything against him. Yeah? And everybody was saying, look at this guy, man. You, they, they are so servile to the leaders to the point where they say, if, if the leader of the Muslim land has sex with a man or, or with a woman for half an hour, you know, and everyone's watching it, Okay, that you can't do anything about it. Then a Salafi, I can't remember his name, a Sheikh, he said that actually in the Islamic state he would have to be uh, given the had because of course. you know because well, he's not a, he's not a, he's not above the had. He's not above absolutely. The, but put that aside. These guys are saying the same thing as the Madhalis are saying, but in a different way. In the in the Western context, they're saying that so long as this guy is serving our political interest, so long as he's in politics, Khali, let him do what he wants. He's you know until what? If you can do kofar, you can do anything else now. So now the statement of a rais becomes intelligible to you. Why are you condemning a rais? Why are you condemning him? Why are you condemning the madkhalis? They're saying that we, for our own maslaha, and for, not, I mean, they make a textual argument, which is even more powerful for them, actually. They say that for, uh, we, we don't do khuruj al-hakim. We don't say anything about this hukam. This guy, he's not even a hakim because he has no shoka, which means uh, um, he, has no, he has no actual authority of of military because in yes. this country Scotland's a devolved yes, thing yes. and they, they don't have their own mili yep, standing yep, military yep, yep, right? Yep, yep. which means he, he's not actually a hakim anyway but then you're treating him more giving him more excuses than you've given any of these Arab leaders in the past if an Arab leader said anything close to what this guy said the same group would jump on it this actually makes me think with all due respect this is political opportunism because why is it that you allow the Westerner to do it and not this guy to do it? You have to have consistency. It doesn't, it, for me, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry to say. And they're disturbing the Tao with this, Akhi, because for us, we don't care about all this politics stuff yeah, to, to an extent. I mean, I'm not going to go and change the governments. But what I'm saying is you're coming into our remit now because what you're doing now is you're, you're putting these figures like Ilhan Omar and, you, and uh, Rashid Tulayb and stuff that are just because they're anti-Zionist. And I don't even know if this guy's anti-Zionist or not. By the way, this—he might not be. He might be a supporter of the state of Israel. He might be a Zionist. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, he has voiced support for the Palestinian cause. He has been critical of Israel in the past, but that's yeah. not a criteria. No, it could be changed. That, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it could, that's it could, not a Furqan for us to basically, you know, judge the man. Agreed, I agreed. But I, I'm saying just because you're anti-Zionist, you can say what you want. You know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, it, there is no consistency with this. And when you have individuals like Ilhan Omar and Rashid Tlaib and these individuals. And then you have now sisters in, in, in America wearing rainbow colored hijabs following that because they see that the religious clergy are quiet. Shaitan akhras as a weak hadith. No, and, and she's attending conferences and, and conventions. Yeah, yeah, with them, side by side with them. So. And, and there's no discussion about it. It's cowardice, it's impotence. Um, let me ask you, have you had any teachers from that leaning? 
of Ikhwan al-Muslimin. I've not had a teacher who's, um, you know, let's say a, a card-carrying member of, of the group. But okay. I have people obviously who have sympathies with them. Okay. I think it's also fair to say that, I need to say this because the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, they're a, a broad umbrella, a broad church. Yes. Yeah? Yes. And the, a spectrum that's far and wide. And the Arab Spring is actually an example of that. The way the Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan responded to the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria, to Tunisia. Egypt, to Tunisia and so forth. So they vary and they differ. Uh, and, and there's a spectrum. And there's a spectrum of it in the UK as well. Uh, but the loudest and the most influential spectrum of that movement happens to be the ones who have been positing these arguments in defense of Hamza Yusuf. Yes. So let me ask you, would you have done that video any differently? No, I, I, the only thing I would have done is uh, I was thinking of um, putting in, you know, Django Unchained. There's a film called Django Unchained. Course, it's a fantastic movie. And I was thinking of putting in um, <laughs> the, the, the Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson character because it's it, it, the Samuel L. This Hamza Yusuf reminds me of the Samuel L. Jackson character <laughs> in that film. I've seen clips of, of of the film. I think it's a phenomenal. Wicked movie. Uh, it reminds me of this is exactly what he is. I would have put some more antagonistic things like that. Not less. Oh no way! No way! I mean, and maybe I, sh I should have made it clear in the video as well that when we make takfir of someone, it doesn't mean violence. And I've had to repeat this a second time now. I think those two things in particular, if I had made them in the video, then. But otherwise, Achi, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this discourse to go into the direction where the liberals, and the, the feminists, and these pro-LGBT uh, morality guys come in and dictate our own, our dawa, change our dawa. Bringing the podcast to a close, and this is now a question or a conversation about methodology of how Muslim minorities move forward in Western countries. Yeah. yeah. So you have various groups and movements uh, and, 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 and tariqs and wherever they are, yeah. Yeah, of various persuasions, political, sectarian, theological, otherwise, that propose certain ways to just survive. Just, just, just to live safely as a Muslim in an increasingly hostile world. United Kingdom, France, wherever it may be. What is your thoughts on the idea or strategy that's been posited that, look, we have to align with the left or they appear to be the natural allies of the Muslims because they are outspoken on racism and the vast majority of Muslims are people of colour. They are outspoken on Islamophobia and we are the biggest victims of hate crime. They are, because they are left-leaning, they tend to be quite critical of Israel and tend to be pro-Palestine. And they don't want to kill us or kick us out of the countries. Whereas when you look at what's on the other side, all you guys are banking on is this LGBT issue. With the most uh, bloodthirsty, warmongering, hateful, right-wing, leaning groups, parties, movements, the left is the natural ally. For now it seems to be the natural ally for Muslims to preserve their rights and for people like Muhammad Hijab to carry on doing da'wah is to actually ally with these guys because they make the, the space safe. When I was in A-levels, when I was 17 years old, I had a teacher um, called Russell Child, who I think, he was, I'm not going to say where he's, he's definitely a leftist, yeah. Mm. He was a phenomenal teacher. Brilliant teacher. And this was the first time I actually got engaged with the issue of politics and stuff. And one of the first things he said in the first lesson I've ever done in politics, which was 15 years ago or something, he said, political participation doesn't mean that you have to vote in a ballot box. 
He said sometimes not voting is also participation. Absolutely. Spoiling your vote. Yeah, spoiling your vote and so on. Now, that stuck with me. And this, look, 15 years later, I'm thinking about it now. As you asked me that question, I thought about it. Because it's almost as if we're, we're being told, look, it's either this or that. It's not. It could be either, neither. It could be that we, just like the civil rights movement in America, decide that these policies on the left and these policies on the right, they don't represent us. We need to, change, we need to get these guys to change in our image, not us to change in their image. This is a very important point. And sometimes when we think about voting, or even let's say getting a Muslim MP, like this guy, the and be respectful to him, he's a, he's a head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Britain. Uh, at least he's trying to make it in power so he can implement the colonizers' policies. Okay, no problem. <laughs> uh, if you think that's a success, I don't know what failure looks like, to be honest with you. I know, well, if you think that's a success, I don't know what a failure looks like. And I want to say, just uh, on a tangent, now when we say, well, I've been talking about the Muslim Brotherhood a lot today because they've been most critical, but I'm responding to them by saying, uh, people, what is your opinion? Everybody, you can, uh, um, Malik said, everybody you take from them and you leave from them, except for this person, and you can say the same thing about groups. Yes, yes. It's a mixed bag. But having said that, this is, I think, so problematic that it needs to be remedied. Going back to the point, we don't need to ally with anyone. We don't need to ally with anyone. This is the, this is the point. There is no compulsion upon the Muslim people in Britain or in America or in Canada or anywhere else to ally. And if we think that having an MP, there's 636 chairs in, in Parliament. In Cur the and currently there's 17 or 19 Muslim MPs. Yeah, so 17 so-called Muslim MPs. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, none of them voted uh, against the RSC bill in 2019. Overwhelming majority voted in support of that bill. So, you know, when you come home and your children tells you, Amma, Abba, I was taught today that I can be gay and Muslim. It's because those MPs supported that bill. They didn't speak up. And I think four or five abstained. Not a single Muslim MP in the House of Parliament said, I am against this bill because of my faith. So we need to check the Islam. That's another issue. We'll do it later. But I don't even know some of these ones. But but 636 chairs, uh, you know, seats in the, in the in Parliament, in the House of Commons. We have to understand that the power doesn't lie in being an MP in this country. Even being in PM, I mean, even if you're a prime minister of this country, you, that you've got a constitution. This country has constitution. It's an uncodified constitution. Yeah, yeah. You've got a statute, unwritten, unwritten common law, yep. statute law, all these kinds of things. How are you going to, with your approach, you're going to change this stuff? You're going to just change this stuff. They're not going to allow you to change this stuff. It's not easy. Some would argue it's just a symbolism that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, no, there's a symbolism of having someone oh. called Hamza, Yusuf, Sadiq. Yeah, but at what cost? This is the point we're saying. At what cost? For what? I mean, the, the, I would say, like, for example, if there's a clear maslaha, in uh, when there was the Iraq war, George Galloway at the time he didn't have the views that he has now mm. on Syria and so yes, on. yes. At that time, he was one of the most powerful, in my opinion, probably the most powerful orator in the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, he was so powerful in his making his argument, and he he had a debate, very famous debate with Christopher Hitchens, which was the time where even Christopher Hitchens' followers say that he lost that debate. Yeah, which was on the Iraq War. Yeah, he went into Parliament. And he changed public opinion on the Iraq war. I would say that he actually was a leading figure of changing public opinion was, on the Iraq war. That was Corbyn to a lesser degree at the time. But yes. yeah, George Galloway no, was the George guy. George was the guy. Yeah, he right? was the guy. Yeah. So having him as an MP had a clear maslaha. It was so clear. Okay, him as an MP, 
for Bradford West or Tower Hamlets because he, mm. he he won twice. Bradford West. Bradford West, right? And so in the, in both cases, there was a clear muscle. In the case where you got you get a guy with the name Hamza, who's not even half the guy that he was in terms of being able to put the case forward, doesn't serve any of our interests. Uh, it's not control of any budget, let alone any military. I don't see how that actually affects me or my day-to-day life as a Muslim person or my community or anybody else as a Muslim in a positive manner. The, these guys thinking that the assimilationist or the gradualist approach of getting some guy who's brown or, and who has got Muslim name as the PM or an MP or anything like that is going to serve the Muslim people in this country in any way, shape or form linking to any of the what the jurists called the darurat al-khams, the five major things Islam came to protect, which is the deen, the aql, the ard, the mal, the nasal, the, the, the deen, the religion of the people, the ard, the ard of the people, the honor of the people, the aql of the people, the intellect of the people, or the, the lineage of the people, or the money of the people. Having this guy doesn't increase my money, doesn't save my money, doesn't help me in my religion, doesn't help me protect my honor, it doesn't, it doesn't help me with any of the things I wish to be helped on, or the Muslim community. So you cannot make a jurisprudential case. And, you know, they are trying to make a jurisprudential case for this assimilationist approach. So what is the way forward then? We can criticize the assimilationist approach, yeah. the, the gradualist approach. The, the way forward is case by case. We look at, like, for example, where the clear maslaha will lie. If, it's, if, the, if there could be a maslaha and having no one in power, and in imposing a a um, a reputational threat on whoever's in power, lobbying the things that how you do you mentioned. measure how do you measure the harms and benefits of of, of the community? Going come? back to those five things. Okay. So these are five things that Islam came to protect: mm. the deen, the ard, the aql, all of those five things. And does your argument for the maslaha maslaha has to be grounded on those five yes. things? I mean, you can't have a maslaha unless it goes back to these five or six things Islam came to protect. Okay. So if anyone was pro- if someone if anyone was proposing a maslaha argument for having Hamza Yusuf or Sadiq Khan in these positions of power, which doesn't go back to these five or six, because some scholars say six. Okay. But yeah. Would it would it have to go back to those six? Yes, it would. It would. It would go, otherwise, you can't make an argument. What's the argument? If it doesn't go back to my religion. Or my my honor, or my or the or when I say my, I so, so can we so, just so, so just start from the first one. So uh, Dean, he's a Muslim. Next one. So, so protect. So I'm, so I'm so I'm going to throw no, to no, what, no. what I think they when, may when say. When they say Hevduddin, okay. when the when the scholars say Hevduddin, it means we need to protect our Islam. So 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 you mentioned those, and I'll tell you what I think they would say. So right. you said Dean, yeah, yeah. He, he's a Muslim. It is yeah. more likely that he will he will defend the religion or protect the religion than well, Kate Forbes well, and Zach Goldsmith. Actually, she was protecting the religion more. <laughs> she was. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was. was. I, I thought. I thought she was. Um, she was. She was anti. Um, yeah, she was anti the abortion. Um, uh, anti the gay conversion therapy. Yeah, so, anti. So the argument falls the... flat on his face. The, the other one is uh, the honor of the Muslims. Yeah, he's a Muslim himself. If he dishonors us, he'll dishonor himself. I don't even understand that one. But I mean, uh, you mentioned it quite articulately when you said that. Where when the person comes home and he says that. The, the teacher told me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> such and such, that it's okay to be gay and Muslim, which we're seeing now, that will be put into place. He's trying to force legislation with that, isn't he? Yeah, so those he's put education ministers, yes. you're saying, right? Yeah, so, he's, so he's, he's appointed one queer and one lesbian minister. So is that going to help the Arab Muslims? <laughs> <laughs> so now you have your daughter, uh, uh, the, the, those individuals, Yasser Qadi and those uh, ones who follow basically Hatim Al-Awni. I mean, if you want to know what Hatim Al-Awni thinks, just basically follow Yasser Qadi. I mean, because he is... A copy kind of of this person. I mean, he follows almost all the. You've said that so unequivocally. Is that fair to say that? Yeah, on these issues, it's the same thing. I mean, or the issues of takfir and stuff, it's the same thing. Are you sure this is just your perspective? Huh? Uh, you've, no, no, you've, you've, you've unequivocally said this. I, I can tell you that for a fact. They have the same exact. Uh, I mean, people call him a copycat. I mean, he, he, it could have been the case that he reached his. Uh, 
Surely you could have reached that independently. Independently, yeah, it's possible. But because well, we were talking about Hatim Aouni, Yasser Qadi represents exactly Aouni thoughts, basically. So um, Yasser Qadi, yeah, uh, who's not is condemning Linda Sassour, who doesn't want to condemn Ilhan Omar, doesn't want to condemn them properly, doesn't want to go against them, let alone make takfir of them, or to even question their Islam. Forget about that. Mm. I mean, that's nonsense. You know, those individuals, and in uh, I'm not going to mention uh, other people because these guys actually made a comment on this issue, posts and so on. Now, when, they, when their daughters come in and say, actually, or maybe they have enough money not to put their daughters in state schools, but unfortunately, some people don't have that money. You know, yeah, no one has the privilege of, a privilege of that. So when now they, they come to you and say, look, my teacher told me, yeah? My teacher told me that... Uh, you can be gay and Muslim. You can be gay and Muslim at the same time. Yeah. I can love men. I can like boys and girls. And, and, your par and their parents are not as approachable and articulate and uh, as mesmerizing and uh, inspiring as the teacher is in the school. So, and then she falls into them. She, she believes in their dawah, not the dawah of the parents, for example. So, so, that, so how is that going to help us? So that's dumb. So we've done religion, we've done honor. What's the next one? Uh, it's uh, uh, mel, for example, or the, the money. It's neither here or there. No, there I, there's I, no I, argument really. Because uh, but, but the thing is, I mean, yeah, for, for instance, yeah, you could say it doesn't, neither here nor there. Yeah. What's the next one? It's uh, um, the lineage of the Muslims. Well, there won't be a lineage left if we carry on pushing some of the policies uh, they push. It's, it's, no, think about it. They're, they're saying homosexuality is okay. It's, he said my marriage is the same as your marriage. Yeah. Does that mean now the lineage of the people, yeah, who have uh, adopted kids as homosexuals is the same as my lineage? He's desecrated by my lineage, yes, of our, my parents and the Muslims' lineage by yeah. equating it with the lineage of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to say, Yanni. No, no, it's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth. It's the truth. And the aql. Yeah. And the, and the, uh, the, the, the intellect, the rational yeah, intellect. We're mashing that up as well. So I can't even present an argument for the counter side. Actually, there's no argument. I'm, all I'm saying is that no one has given these people the authority to run the Dawa narrative on the politics issue. And they don't have the public support for it. They don't have the clerical support for it. They don't have the religious support for it. They have no precedent in Islam. They have no proof of concept. They have no um, success record in, in the West. I can even say, I can go further than that, but I won't say that. They have no record of success in general and so sorry to say we reject uh, this trajectory of putting someone who's an uncle tom who's a colonized mind because he's brown and muslim in the in the faces of and it makes him the subject of resentment people hate islam even more when these people are on there, there this hamza yusuf episode do you think it's been a defining moment in terms of a clear line that's been drawn between the uk and north america in terms of between the art and our positions and our approaches. No, because we've seen a lot of people, you mentioned the Shadim yeah, and yeah. I think that represents the majority thought, bro. But why is it? Why is it? Why does it appear to be a silent majority? But I mean, who do we have? The, the, the people who came in support of him is only one I know of, Yasser Qadi. I mean, who has a who has an ambiguous post on the matter, who hasn't condemned. We had a very brief engagement with uh, Jonathan Brown, but he, he was making, yeah, Jonathan he, Brown he, as well. He, 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 was, he was making an indirect reference. Yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't as bad. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was more cordial on the matter. Mm. But we've already seen the, the the failure of his approach. I mean, uh, he came. With, I spoke to him personally. I've done a podcast with him, mm. and we and he his, his article was so problematic that Yaqeen actually took it down from their website. That's how bad it was. It creates so much problems for them. This distinction between political and this moral. And so this, you're confusing the people, man. You're confusing the people and confusing yourself. Just keep it, keep it straightforward. This is not what we believe in. Christians can say it. Conservatives are now saying it. This is not our religion. We don't. We, this doesn't represent. We will never back this. 
That's it. It's as simple. We will never back someone who backs this. I mean, it has to be like that, man. What would your advice, concluding advice, be to young Muslims, God-fearing, practicing Muslims who want to get into the political field for the betterment of their community, who want to become councillors, who may want to become local mayors, who want to enter the political system? Um, but the example that they've got is this. Even if, if even if it was worthy of somewhat of some symbolic, celebratory kind of anything, even if one could accept that argument, what would your advice be to those who you go up and down the country, lecture in, in Masaji then and, and University of ISOX? What would your advice be to young Muslims who are witnessing this Hamza Yusuf debacle? Concluding advice. Concluding advice is just stick to your religion, okay, and don't compromise. I mean, on key principles of our religion, we have to be uncompromising. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu They wish that you can compromise with you so that they that they you can compromise with them. They did this with just read the seerah. Read the seerah because you realize in the beginning when the Muslims were the weakest, okay, that all of the, the early Muslims were being pushed to compromise, 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 they were being whipped. Tortured. I mean, you know, this is this is what makes me sick about this situation because I'll be honest. These when I had this conversation with with Qadi, and I'm only mentioning him repeatedly because he has made a post about this issue, yes, and because he is, yani, trying to push a different narrative on this matter, yeah, publicly. Are you sure, Harry? Because you're saying these things quite conclusively here. Yes, I am. I'm very sure about it. He's very clear about what he was saying. He's very clear about not condemning. He's, he's very clear about his strategy. No, but is it fair? Is it fair to insinuate that there's some other something else that's happening that's been trying to be pushed? Is that fair to say that, my dear? No, Muhammad? I'm saying that, he, that it's very, very clear to me that he will not condemn certain aspects from certain people, or even go near uh, discussing the issue of excommunication with them because he doesn't want to spoil their his alliance with them or his the, he considers to be a maslaha. He made he made this very clear to me. I spoke to him publicly. This is a public discussion. Okay, okay. Him, right? So it's very clear what he was saying. He himself, who's he's got the most, the best seerah in the English language, 106 part seerah. Okay. And the, the Meccan period is a very long period. And I recommend that seerah for the for students of knowledge. It's brilliant. Yes. But on that on that front, where the early Muslims, Khabab um, uh, al-Arat. The hadith of Habab ibn al-Arat, where they uh, people came to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they said, uh, and the, uh, and he said, so he was saying to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, ask Allah to give us, ask victory. Allah to give us, say, Allah lana, are you not going to ask Allah to give victory to us and to help us lana, and then the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi said that the person before you. Used to be cut into two pieces. Yeah, you He used to be cut into two, and then there used to be um, combs that they used to bring and take their body out with the, take this flesh out with the combs. So basically, the Prophet is telling someone is being tortured in the in the early Meccan period where Muslims were the the minority of the minority and, tens a, of and a persecuted minority. Persecuted minority. He's telling them no, like yeah, people who have endured more than you. Now the argument is we are at this instant threat of uh, extinction and that they can destroy us and the right wing going to kill us or something like that, yeah? Which is a fake, phony threat. It's nothing like these. It's a, it's a, it's a spit in the face to what the early Muslims have actually uh, faced. And we are, we're being told that if we don't ally with the West, it's darura now. We're being told that it's an issue of necessity. No, it's not an issue of necessity. 
it's not an issue of necessity because I can still live, I can still practice my religion without voting for these people. And I will do that. And in fact, I can go further than that. I can use my constitutional rights, whether I'm in the United States or the United Kingdom or any other part of the West, to demand my own rights. And this is the only trajectory forward where we, have, we, we, we amplify our voices, we, we make our case, we do what the civil rights movement, the black people in the civil rights movement did. Because if we do what they did, that, there is proof of concept for this. But there is proof of concept for, for non-compromising, uh, you know, um, audacious uh, behavior. There is no proof of concept for this assimilationist, gradualist, weak, impotent approach. Of, it's actually capitulation. They think it's a victory of some sort. You're saying uh, almost jubilation, and as you were saying. Is there any concluding comments or words of advice you want to give to any young, impressionable, overzealous young Muslims who may watch this or have seen other engagements or your excommunication video? And if they see Hamza Yusuf on road or if they see any of the Muslim MPs that voted in support of the RSCB, I may want to slap them on or punch them on or like take something out of their own hands. Do you want to make it unequivocally clear? Uh, any words of advice to these if there are any if there are any by the way and we have to say this because there has been instance where MPs have been attacked and in, in, in two cases they've been killed in the UK so it's important that we make that abundantly and unequivocally clear this is a problem this is one of the worst things someone a Muslim can do right now because it's it will be detrimental to the entire community and it's haram to do this kind of thing we do not endorse that we have to make a distinction between takfir on the one hand which is excommunication which people from all religions do Christians all day and all uh, all night will make takfir, excommunicate as heretics, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. Always. You know, we make takfir anyway. I mean, the same people that are uh, attacking us make takfir of the Ahmadis, for example. The Qadianis, the Ismailis, the Druze. Yeah, we, we, we do it. I mean, go and ask any of those people that you've mentioned, we've mentioned today, mm. are Ahmadis Muslims. They'll make excommunication with them. If excommunication was a, was a call to violence, then... They are, we are all participating in the call to violence against the Ahmadis, the, you know, for example. Mm -hmm. You could argue, oh, they're not kafir asli, and uh, it's not riddah, and all these kinds of things. But on the other hand, you could argue that actually these guys are uh, doing qadh of the Nabi. You can make an argument of uh, of violence. You can well, many argue. made the hidden takfir of Majid Nawaz. No one made noise about that. Majid Nawaz is another point. No one made noise about him because he was not a political leader. Mm. And because he was not on the, he was not on the left. Yeah. The point is, is that excommunication, takfirism does not entail, okay, violence. We make that ex extremely clear to everybody. And if we let go of takfir, because we think that we don't want to be associated with ISIS and those guys, which we don't want to be associated with them, it actually has the adverse effect, in my opinion. Because then people will say that no one is speaking the truth on the matter. And then the only ones who will be making legitimate takfir are the takfirists, themselves which gives credence to the ideology because then we say that there's no one in the conservative community are doing it but these guys do, are doing it these guys are doing it so they, they must be right on other issues as well so i actually believe the lack of takfir can create a, a culture of violence create a culture of um, extremism and radicalism so people we need to as orthodox muslims or traditionalist muslims we need to make takfir but we need to make takfir in the right times in the right place where there's the right maslaha it's not upon us to make takfir all the time and so only in the cases where it's completely clear. If there's shubha, so even the situation, Ibn Taymiyyah discusses worship, yani, doing sujood to something. And he actually says there's ta'wilat here. So that's why it can, do not make it a habit to make takfir and always err on the side of caution. But with situations which is ma'lum al-din 
someone stomps on the Quran, for example, someone says something bad about the Prophet, someone says, Allah, someone does istinkar of something like prayers. Uh, I, there's no prayer. I don't believe in prayers in the Quran. I don't believe in Hajj. Unless they are insane. Was there room for you to do that with Elon Hamza no. Yusuf though? No, no. How? But you just said that Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah, he, he, he said that there was space for ta'weed for the one who was prostrating to an idol. Yeah, if, for example, if the idol was in direction of... Uh, oh, if, 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 so the, if the Qibla's there and, 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 and the idol's there, yeah. okay. For example, yeah. Okay. But the, the question is, هل السجود إلى الشيء عباد له? For example, uh, um, is, is prostrating to a thing عباد of it? No. And so, the, so the, there is conceivable it cannot be. Sometimes a situation like bowing. So, it, because if someone does like in BJJ, you're talking about someone does bowing, so oh, there's a kafir now, for example. Mm, of course not. Yeah. So the, there's we let there. I, we're, not, we're not saying anything. Even if Taymiyyah discusses it, but this situation where he says, "I know it's in the scripture. I can't change what's in the scripture. I've read it. To, you've been asked me 25 times. But this guy, no, there's nothing. Sorry to say that. He knows what he's saying. Hijab is an absolute pleasure having you on, bro. Yeah. Um, may Allah. Uh, Keep us all sincere and steadfast upon what's pleasing to him. I mean, and um, uh, I pray to Allah that um, the remainder of our Ramadan goes as beneficial as possible, especially for our Akhirah. And um, yeah, bro, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, bro. Brothers and sisters, I hope you all uh, enjoyed and and benefited uh, from today's podcast as much as I did. I want to remind you all that you can find this episode and the show itself on all the major audio platforms. And of course, if you haven't already, click subscribe, but you made it to the end of this podcast. That's very cheeky. Click subscribe right now. Leave a comment. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Burma's podcast, a five-headed production. production.